And this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversation. Tonight is part of an ongoing series about food and body image, and my guest is Julia Jarvis. Julia is a UCC minister at the Interfaith Families Project in Washington, D.C. The Interfaith Families Project works with um, Jewish-Christian mixed-marriage families wanting to raise their kids learning about both faiths. Julie suffered from an eating disorder herself in the 1980s, and when she went on to work as a campus minister at Illinois State University, she offered uh, groups for women who were struggling with this so that she could kind of help them find the way to health that she had found, or at least their own way. So welcome to Safe Space, Julie. Thanks, Anne. I should say welcome back. I loved having you as a guest already. Yeah, it's always (laughs) nice to be with you. So I'd love to start by asking you to tell your own story of your relationship to food kind of on the various turning points along the way. Well, first I just want to say it's a real privilege to talk about this. For so long, I didn't. I was very scared and had a lot of shame and despair around it. So to be able to have a conversation on the radio with listeners Um, it doesn't even feel like it's taking courage as much as it feels like an honor to be able to do it if um, it can help anybody struggling with this powerful disease. Um, I grew up in a very religious home and um, always had a very... um, Food was always an issue in my family. Um, Both my parents always were trying to lose weight, and my grandparents, especially my my matriarchal grandmother, um, always talking about diets. And I just looked upon it as kind of funny conversations and never had really big issues with food growing up um, because I was very thin, very active, and... Not until I went away to college uh, when there's something called the freshman 15 that you put on when you're living with other women. And (laughs) my household of college mates, we we would make a lot of chocolate chip cookie dough (laughs) and eat it late at night. And um, so I had gained quite a bit of weight and... uh, started dating a man. I was in this campus crusade for Christ group um, on my college campus and started dating a man that was involved with that also. And he was studying nutrition, and he noticed that I was putting on some weight. And so he asked me if, and in fact, he asked our whole household of four women, including myself, if we all wanted to go on this diet that he had learned about through his nutritional classes. And so we all, you know, happily agreed to do that. And so part of it was to write down everything you ate and then give him your um, your list of meals and everything you ate at the end of each week, and then he would tell you what was not good to eat. He would scrutinize your diet and then encourage um, other kinds of foods to eat. And But he also was very 
adamant about intense exercise and so he had this really stern taskmaster. Yes, and he would pick me up on dates and say, oh, it looks like you'd lost some weight, or, hmm, maybe you didn't follow my diet this week. Or, mm. So he, I pretty soon dropped him. Um, good. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> but I really couldn't drop his message and his kind of paranoia around the whole weight thing. It seemed as though it affected how he felt about me. And so one night, we, all my roommates were happily eating the chocolate chip cookie dough mix, and one of my roommates had read about how the Romans, during the Roman Empire, used to eat a lot, gorge themselves on a ton of food, and then they'd throw up and so they could eat some more. And so we tried that, and nobody else could do it in the house except for me. I could, I could throw up all the cookie dough. Ah, so you had this unfortunate gift. Yes, mm-hmm. what a gift. And it everybody was like, "Wow, you can do that." And it kind of it, it I didn't think about it for a while until the next time, I think I was by myself in the house and just had this um kind of maybe feeling some loneliness or whatever and just began to eat a lot and thought, oh, well, I know how to deal with this after I was very full and I just threw it up. So I started this habit and um, I didn't even know there was a name to it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was... Um, you mean that bul- I, bulimia, is that what right. you're referring to? Uh-huh. Um, this was in 79. Mm-hmm. Um and it was kind of, it was a a very powerful feeling to be able to eat a lot, to binge, and then to be able to stick my finger down my throat and throw it all up, like totally empty my stomach. There was also something very cathartic about it. Like there was something more than just food that was being release there was some kind of emotion too of of gosh i could control myself mm. like i can eat whatever i want and then i can throw it up there was some kind of control that i was gaining around it yeah it feels powerful it did mm-hmm. and i didn't tell anybody because there was also you know a little bit of a shame around it and Around that time, I was also very involved with Campus Crusade and and a charismatic group that was growing on the campus. And so um, I would I was just very religious, and I would write down everything, all my sins, all day long. So I had these journals of my sins. Oh. And I filled many up. And oh, Julie. So there was this sense of, you know, just um, a, a, just a, a bad me. Mm. And I don't, I don't have any of those journals that I can find, but um, I don't think I ever confessed that I was, throwing up either. I couldn't even write it down. 
at that point. That was early on. Um, then I graduated from college and, and moved to um, the mountains of North Carolina and lived in a very intense religious community for a couple of years. And around that time, the bulimia shifted to more... At times, I would become anorexic in a sense that I would eat very little and and do a lot of exercise. It was almost as if, Anne, I was trying to exercise the badness out of me. You Mm -hmm. know, if I could punish myself by not eating, if I could run really hard, do all this exercise, which always felt great. But there was always this goal, too, of just trying to be as thin as I could. Because whenever I, you know, when I was thin, people commented on it all the time. Like, you look so great. How do you do that? You know, and oh my gosh, one time I was running and this man stopped me and he was a photographer for a well-known um, fashion magazine. And he asked if I would be willing to come and um, model for him. Oh, this um, is so flattering, magazine. so flattering to be, th- to be thin, to be seen as thin. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. just, and I... I was willing to starve and binge and throw up in order to get that attention. Mm-hmm. And I felt, I, there was a part of me that felt so great and and beautiful. And then another part of me knew that the way I was going about doing this seemed really sick mm-hmm. and scary. So I finally told my parents about it and... Um, they that were was, just that was it, courageous. It was but I was so scared and I was also um I had some major stomach aches and I was really uh. kind of scared that I, I had an ulcer um which I later I was diagnosed with an ulcer and um I at that point more material I think was coming out about bulimia and so I I did read a little bit about it, which scared me because the health, the health, um, what it can do to your body to vomit is um, not good to do all that binging or having periods where you don't hardly eat much, Um, neither of which is good for one's health. Um, But that didn't seem to stop me too much. So my parents, I finally told them because I just didn't know where else to go, and they um, sent me to a therapist, a Christian therapist. And she, all I can remember that came out of her mouth was, well, you just need to get your life right with God. God can fix this. If you can only turn to God, then it will, you'll be healed. And I... I don't even remember anything else she said. And I just remember kind of spinning with, um, well, I I am doing everything I know to be right with God. I'm writing out all my sins. I pray all the time. I go to church. I'm trying to be so good. And 
I left her office just saying, well, I'm, I want to die then because I don't think I can do anything else more for God. And so I plotted out my whole suicide like I was going to get in my little VW and, and figure out a place that I could just drive it off a cliff. And mm. So she really made you feel hopeless, like there wasn't anything more you could do. No. Really, if that, if it was really, I mean, she turned it into a moral problem as if it was a moral failing. Right. When you were already sort of oh, overly preoccupied with that aspect of your life. As yeah, I had enough of moral failing. <laughs> yes. You were filling journals with your supposed failings. Yeah, I needed yes. some grace yes. and some compassion and understanding because I didn't know what this was and yeah. I didn't know how to get out of it. And yeah. There weren't eating disorder support groups during this time. This is in the early 80s. And mm-hmm. um, so then I went to seminary, and um, my theology, the first day of seminary, I learned in the Old Testament class I took that Adam and Eve weren't real people. It was part of a creation myth that ancient people all created ancient myths of how they were created. And so seminary was this whole unraveling of this theological rug that I had um, that was pretty well (laughs) knitted and, and tight. And so as it became I really believe, as I look back, that a part of my eating disorders was this very strict, rigid theological beliefs and just this belief within myself that I had to be good or God was somehow going to punish me. Mm-hmm. And so as that became unraveled, that whole knotted rug, um I, I at that point got sicker. The bulimia um, really got worse because I was scared. I was caught. I didn't. Gosh, if God wasn't who God said He was, growing the God that I knew growing up, then what was this all about? So I, in the four or five years I was in seminary, it was just kind of this wrestling with God and myself. And I finally, um, my ulcer was getting worse, and I finally just reached out for help, and and I found a psychiatrist. And um, he put me on Prozac, um, a pretty strong dose of it. And it was great. (laughs) It saved my life. It it just helped me relax and let go of all my have-tos and shoulds and just just to live my life and enjoy it. And he recommended that I go to um, some sort of 12-step program. So I went to Overeaters Anonymous, which for me was just horrible because it was just it sounded as if for me it was everybody talking about food and I it seemed to me that my issue wasn't the food itself it was my emotional being 
Um, so I went to, I found this all-women's group in a little Episcopal church. This was in Louisville, Kentucky, um, adult children of alcoholics. And I thought it was kind of odd that I found myself with these adult children of alcoholics. But then I remembered that my mother herself was an adult child of alcoholics. So it seemed to match pretty mm. well. And it was about expressing my feelings, my mm. real feelings, not what I thought I should feel, but what I really felt. And I also discovered this great thing within that group, something called um, adult children of sexual addicts. And my father was a sexual addict. He had many affairs and uh, as I well, while I was growing up. And there's these great children of, a, of sexual addicts are people, there's like these, different ways to describe those children um, goes something like this. No one would love me as I am. No one's willing um, to accept me unconditionally. People will want something from me. Mm-hmm. There will be a price to pay. Intimacy is avoided. Um, we look for others to comfort us. Food. <laughs> yeah. um, children often feel lonely, lost, and unprotected. And that just, like, struck a big chord with me, more so than, I think, the ACOA. Um, Right, well, it really sounds like it named what your experience was with your father. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And so I think with his dysfunction and with the church's dysfunction, I didn't know how to be myself, Anne. I, I didn't know who I was. And all my journals pre, you know, pre my theological rug being becoming <laughs> unraveled was, I don't even know who this person was. It's all about God. It's quoting scriptures. It's all about, um, there's a little piece, little kind of bird's eye view into who I am, but very little. It's all about who I should be, mm. and God forgive me, and God, why can't I do this? And and then as I started the Prozac and started ACOA and understanding I was a child of a sexual addict and what all that meant, my journals became this just like I loved reading them <laughs> because mm. they were real. They expressed my anger, my joys, my. It just became like I became a human being. And I no longer. I just. It was as if, as if I just set that bulimia tendencies towards anorexia down, literally, mm. metaphorically, and just moved on with my life and it's, I it's such a powerful story I just want to interject this is WMPG my name is Dr. Ann and this is Safe Space and I'm talking to Julie Jarvis about her recovery from bulimia and such a powerful story Julie I mean it, it's so striking as you're as you allowed yourself to become real to have your real feelings it's like the whole thing just sort of fell away yeah so striking you didn't even have to focus on food or work at it because it was never about the food to begin with, it sounds no. like. No, it mm. was about my emotional state of being and mm. who 
discovering who I was and and releasing and letting my feelings be transparent and open and real and then I just I let it it just the food issue just like it did it just disappeared um, was it scary I mean so here you are you lived in this world of shoulds that was really profound as I hear it and and then you start allowing yourself to feel and express anger which I'm guessing was not encouraged in Christian women in the, in the culture that you grew up in I mean, Never. did you feel like you were just breaking some horrible taboo? Did it feel really forbidden to do that? Yeah, and it was very scary. And I remember <laughs> telling my dad, just like calling him up one night and telling him everything and just exploding with anger and sending him my therapy bills and... um and I would have never, ever had the courage to do that. Um, actually, I wouldn't even have thought to do that. Did that he pay them? A, huh? Did he pay them? He sent me some money. He not, did. Not enough to cover the years of therapy, but he did. He did send me some money, and he bought me a TV. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I mean, did you feel like that was his form of apology or of acknowledgement? Yeah. I mean, I think he felt some remorse and lostness. Mm. But he's still very religious. That's what he clings to. Um, mm. And I, I really don't anymore. And I, my whole religious community from my um, high school and college days were freaked out and sent me letters that I was going to go to hell and that I was, you know, that I needed to come back to God and the judgment was pretty fierce. And did you, did you, I mean, how much power did that have for you at this point? Did it, did it doubt, make you doubt yourself? There were times where it did, but it, mostly I just felt alive and well and real. And that's what mattered to me the most, that my health, the ulcer went away, I could eat butter again. I could have <laughs> ice cream, and and it's not that I, um, you know, I still exercise because it's it just feels great. But I don't have a sense as long as I'm comfortable in my clothes. That's what I'm. That's what I, my measure. I don't have a scale. Actually, mm-hmm. we have a scale, but it's upstairs. I haven't really weighed myself in years, and I used to weigh twice a day. It's such a wonderful measure of how much freedom you have in relation to this. So I want to switch now. It's, it's very moving to hear your story and um, I'm interested now in your work. So you went on, you had this incredible struggle, you found your way through it and then um, you tried to help other people with it. And what was that like for you? How uh, did it bring back old stuff? I mean, what, what did it, what was it like for you to do that? Well, largely it just brought, because I know what kind of hold this disease has on people. And when I went, uh, I got married and had two children, and then I we were in, at Illinois State University, and I was a campus minister there. And I just, as I built relationships, particularly with women students, 
discovered how much they were struggling with eating disorders and body image. Um, and so I decided, hey, well, this is, let me tell you my story. And so I started groups um, for women to be able to tell their story and to be honest about what they're struggling with and who they are and and what what um, how the eating disorder, if they had one, is affecting their lives. So we started a support group with some women, maybe 10 or 12 women, and actually went into dorms to do sessions with, um, in the in the women's dorm, mm-hmm. um, and I did counseling of women, um, individual counseling of women who were struggling with eating disorders, and I just felt, and I just, it's not like I could give them an answer. I mean, I could tell them what happened to me, but not all of them had the same childhood that I had, and you know, a lot of them were on antidepressants but it it wasn't the the key the answer um and so just all i did was feel a great deal of compassion for them and so just love them and and try to be with them on their journey of this um real struggle it seems to me as i listen to you sort of respecting the differences that part of the confusion of, of having an eating disorder is that on the one hand, there is this obsession with food and there is binging and there's attempt to control and there's a hatred of the body and a focus on the body size. So it makes it all seem like it really is about that. Yeah. And yet you and essentially all the guests in this month have been interviewing people about eating disorders echo the same theme, which is that it was never finally about that. It was each one of you has actually talked about an inner feeling of badness or, you know, hating something about yourself that ended up getting focused on the size of your body, but it was never, the feeling of something being bad was never actually about that. Right. And it, and it, I, I wonder, I'm just struck at how confusing it is for young women in this situation when it feels like it's about their body and about the food. And, you know, your experience is so powerful that as, in fact, as your emotional life got freed up the whole thing just like fell away from you yeah and did you share that with them I mean yeah yeah and did people resonate with that I think they were so young Mm. you know and they had such pressures on them to be a certain weight and fortunately we we live in a culture where it's you know we have these stupid um, fashion magazines showing models that weigh less than 100 pounds and that that's beautiful. And I I used to look at these magazines all the time, and I, I never look at them anymore. Because um, it fed that, that kind of notion in me. Um, and so, you know, one answer, obviously, is to do away with all these fashion magazines. Right. right. And then models and the way that, that, what we call beautiful is that and and redefine what beauty is. Yes, and yet, you know, part of what struck me in your story and in others is that, you know, you had this really nasty boyfriend in college that sort of triggered this. Yeah. But my, my imagination, I'm curious to ask you if this is true for you, is that that inner feeling of badness preceded that. 
Absolutely. Yes, and so that was, it became like, he was like the match that set something in flame, but in fact, like, the kindling was all right there. It was all ready, yeah. yeah. And if it hadn't been him, it would have been something else. Yeah. So, Julie, we're going to have to stop. It's, it's been so moving to hear you tell your story so openly and so fully. I thank you so much for that. And I want to know if, if people, you know, do you have a website or a book that you really recommend that you think just kind of was helpful to you or that captures some of what you know about eating disorders? Hmm. Well, there is a, a, a fairly new book out called Life Without Ed, E-D, which mm. stands for Eating Disorders, in mm. case you wouldn't want anybody to know that you're reading a book about eating disorders. Oh. So it's disguised. Yeah. Um, Talking about hiding. As yeah. Yeah. And then... Um, Life Without Ed, all right. I would, you know, if you come from a family that um, had alcoholism or sexual addictions, anything like that, I think any kind of 12-step program... ACOA in particular deals a lot with emotion and how to be real with what you're feeling. That's so when you can go on to ACOA websites, and it's a national website, and it'll tell you where there's local meetings. Julie, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, to Anne, for um, really showing some light to this issue. I'm glad to. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space. I've been talking to Julie Jarvis about her struggle with bulimia and her ultimate recovery. Uh, if you would like to email me with a request or suggestion for a future show, please do so at Ann at safespaceradio.com. I also want to let you know that there is a new website for the show, which is www.safespaceradio.com, where this show and all previous shows can be heard, can be emailed to a friend, can be connected to and downloaded through iTunes. Please go check it out, write a comment, love to hear from you. I want to thank Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound tonight, Maurice Lynn for the music, and Neil McKenty for consulting with me. Coming up next is Allison with Money Talks.